your reality is spiritual. His truth is His truth. And if we can align with God's reality, we will finally be living by reality. God bless our children. Thank you for our children. Children's Church is dismissed. That went so fast. Is that the same amount of time as always? I must have been like out there. It feels like we need like three more songs. <laughs> So um, this morning we're going to talk about baptism, of course. Um, the Lord put it on my heart that we should have the Lord's Supper um, if we're having baptism. And I'm actually, um, I just want to kind of prepare you for where we're going before I even start. We're actually going to look at both baptism and the Lord's Supper. And we're going to find that the, the na a pattern that God's laid out, in other words, his nature is unbelievably the same and in them both and even in the way he identifies himself um but before we get there uh i'm gonna start with um some you might call it basic but i'm, I'm not gonna call it basic let's call it important um start at romans 10 with me and this is just a warm-up Figure if exercise needs warm-up, then this probably needs serious warm-up, right? Here in Romans 10, verse 8, it says, um, But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Okay, so does baptism save us? It's very important to get that to get that clear. Baptism is not what saves. It says if you believe with your heart and confess with your mouth. Now, I'm going to show you something. Read into verse 10, and it says, which, which I believe is the next verse, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness. Okay, so where does saving happen? In the heart. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Okay, now I'm going to tell you what that word confession is. Um, because generally speaking, what, what happens with this verse, I think, is we think that it means like confessing sins. Like uh, this is the time when you come up with every way that you're wrong and everything you've done wrong, and it's so very important that you confess your sins. But do you know that more directly this word translates as covenant? So let me read that again. It says, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth uh, making a covenant is made, or covenant is made unto salvation, is what that's actually saying. So the confession, the confession is, G is confessing Jesus, my dependence on you, and the fact that I make a covenant with you. I'm in, I'm all in, that's covenant. Okay, it's like marriage. You're, there's no like I'm partially in. You know, you're all in. It's covenant. And that's the confession that's spoken of here. And it says, for the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. 
Not a single hallelujah. Does anybody hate shame like I do? <laughs> I think shame is the nastiest substance in the universe. It's the most of the devil thing that there is. I hate shame. <laughs> it's so destructive to, our, to what God planned for us in our personal identity. How many of you all know that? Tell me every person in this room knows that. There's nothing more destructive than shame in terms of God's good plan to make you as amazing as, as he planned for you to be, as amazing as he made you. Now, um, one more quick thing. Um, Psalm 34, verse 8. I always, so far the Lord has always led me to read this on Baptism Sunday because it's so much about what we do. Um, Verse 8 begins, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Now think of those words, taste and see. I just want to tell you that it's, it's all over in the, in the word of God and I could have picked many, many places. And in fact, I, I suggest go read Psalm 34 this week. I just read the whole psalm. And I, I should have done it, but I, I've got good stuff that I believe he wants me to say. But notice that it says taste. Taste is such a sensory word, right? Taste and see. Why, do we, why did he say, you know, there are two things that the Lord specifically said do these things, right? The Lord, in his own words, the Lord's table and baptism, right? And they are both taste and see things. He wanted us to have, to have experience. He wanted the kingdom to be tangible. Do you know that? In fact, I'm going to read. This is the only time of the year. I mean, I think doctrine is important. And, you know, we have to have doctrinal statements. Otherwise, um, we don't define who we are. And we're not clear and careful about all of that. But I read, this is the only time of the year I do this. I want to read out of our um, one sentence out of the e Evangelical Free Church of America statement. It says, The Lord Jesus mandated two ordinances, Baptism and the Lord's Supper, which visibly and tangibly express the gospel. Though they are not the means of salvation, when celebrated by the church in genuine faith, these ordinances confirm and nourish the believer. I actually think that's an incredible statement. What baptism is is a tangible, visible um, it's, it really just um, opens for the Holy Spirit of God to do something tangible to confirm and nourish. You know that every person stepping, stepping in the river today has already made a decision. Am I telling the truth? They've already made a decision. They've, they've already, and the Lord is the one who's done it, right? He's the one who's pulled them and drawn them to make this decision. And when, when you, one thing that's for sure, when you go to step in the river, um, when you get to that point to where you're like, yes, please dunk me in a river, <laughs> you definitely have reached that something deep has happened in the heart to get you to do that. You don't have people casually saying, um, especially as cold as our water is here, you don't have people casually going in there. If it's like a hot tub or something, everybody may want in. But... Um, Anyway, I just, as we start today, I just want to emphasize that um, I truly believe, so is like baptism magic? Yes, I think it is. <laughs> you know, I heard no's and you got the right answer too. But I think it is magic in the sense that the Holy Spirit of God is going to be there visibly and tangibly. And the way that it's going to bless 
your body and neurons, the way that that's going to impact the deep parts of your heart is a very real thing. I believe miracles are about to happen in the river. I, I believe that when people are dunked and they come back up, you're going to come back different than you've ever, than you've ever been. You're going to come, you come up changed. I believe something happens. But now we're going to talk about we're going to go into a pattern, the nature of God, and we're going to talk about some, some just really cool things that I think if you get a hold of it, it's life-changing and more of like a long-term um, understanding of how we're in relationship with him. You know, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? If you need a reference, we're not going to read it. You all know he said that. It's John fourteen six is at least one of the places. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You know, that's three words that he himself chose to speak, to introduce or define or tell you something true about himself, about his own identity. Now, I'm going to tell you that there's a progression there. Now, listen, he's the way. And I'm going to show you the same pattern. So if you can grab this pattern now, you're going to see it in baptism, unbelievably. You're going to see it in the Lord's table, and it's, it's, a, it's a way of relating. It's, it's his way that he's giving us. Does that make sense? So he's the way. He's the way out of something, right? What's it out of? Sin, out of this world, out of everything that's not of him, right? And he's the way in. Into what? To life. Into him, right? Into the kingdom, into him. So he's the way. He's the truth. Now, the word of God says that what is it that sets us free? The truth sets us free. So, so next up is he's the truth. So do you know that the truth of his identity and the impact, the, the freeing that does for your identity, it's that truth that sets us free. Free for what? Free to be who he made you to be, right? Free from the wounds that steal who you are. Free from bondages of the enemy that, that the enemy wants to, when successfully does, puts over our lives. Truth is what releases us from bondage. Amen? The, the person specifically, the person of truth, who is full of the truth and imparts it to release us from bondage. And then he's the life. Right? There's a progression here. What does the word of God say? He, he says, he wants to tell us the reason he came. And he says, I came because um, I wanted to give you life and life more abundant. What's that talking about? What is abundant life? Abundant life is being fully your true self, what God intended you to be for him and with him. That's abundant life. And now all cultures come up with their own ideas of abundant life. Okay? In this country, it probably has a lot to do with financial wealth. Or something we would call that abundant life but that's not God's idea he came to bring I mean he loves when you have that it's great it's fine he, he wants to bless with that when it's good for you and when it's not he he withholds it why because he loves you but abundant life that he speaks of is us fully released to be our truest self your truest self most of us Actually, not most of us, all of the time, it's always true that he knows your truest self better than you do. Amen? How many of you know that to the deepest part of, yeah, okay? <laughs> you start out life so wounded and so much bondage, you don't even, 
You think you know something about yourself, but you, you don't got it. God holds <laughs> your identity in him. Amen? Okay, that's the progression that we're going to look at. And we're going to spend most of our time this morning in Mark chapter 1. If you want a page in there, we may skip around a little bit. You can always keep your finger or something at Mark 1. So you know the, um, the Gospel of Mark is sometimes nicknamed like, um, I don't know, the Passion Translation actually titles it Miracles and Mercy. Like Mark jumps right in. It's pretty much the progression of, uh, well, miracles. Okay, but what are miracles? Miracles are the revelation of who he is. Do you know the miracles are not really miraculous to him? Do you get that? <laughs> it's, it's an instant progression of who he is as the Christ, Right? And starting in verse 1, it says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it, um, let me try to read well, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face. Who's this talking about? John the Baptist. Um, who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Now listen, I'm going to read this from a different translation that we can't put up here because we don't have it. But um, are any of you familiar with the Passion Translation? Do you like it? Me too. Um, I do my serious study out of like New King James, as you see, but when I have some of my greatest moments of intimacy are out of that Passion Translation. Um, and it uses, you realize the language originally would have been in Aramaic and in some, some of the Gospels there would have been, it would have been written in Greek. Um, and in, uh, what's the other language? Anyway, it would be in these other languages and then translated to English. So it gives these new insights and, and it's loaded with passion. But I want to read this part again, and this specifically has to do with baptism. It says, um, prepare the way of the Lord. Now, that sounds like we're preparing like something for him, like he's not going to be able to get through if we don't prepare a way, Right? I'm going to tell you that I like the Passion Translation says, prepare your hearts for the coming of the Lord. And I'm going to show you in the minute that it's not talking about something in the future. Okay? He's going to prepare your hearts because the Lord wants to come right now. Okay? And then the next part, make his paths straight, um, translates as um, make a clear and straight path inside your heart for him. So what this what this prophecy or what he cried from the wilderness, why is he crying it from the wilderness? Because <laughs> that's where we're all coming out of, right? We're all, I mean, when what it, the cry to make a straight path for him into your heart comes, comes in wilderness. It's always a word that is, that is what's under the control of the enemy instead of under the control of God or what's, what's um, under the influence instead of the blessing of God, right? So the cry comes in that place. Y'all know that too? I mean, like tangibly from your life? Okay. All right, I'm going to keep reading. So you realize, that again, so one thing about people who are stepping into the water today to be baptized is um, this has happened to some degree. A, a path has been made straight for the Lord 
before you're, before you're saying, yes, uh, take me down into the river, right? Okay. I'm just going to keep reading right through um, chapter one. We're just going to, I already know some things he wants me to say, but we're also just going to see what he wants to do. Um, verse four. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Notice that. Now, here's what I'm going to tell you. There's a pattern here. that It's going to be over and over. There's a pattern here. So the water baptism, starting with John the Baptist, and Jesus says, go baptize. The water baptism is a preparation baptism. Okay? I'm going to, this will make sense, I promise. It's a, um, a remission of sins. You know, so there are, there are two things happening here. And I'm going to prove it out later with other scriptures. Um, it takes you out of, okay, out of what? Out of the sins, out of the world, and it rescues, okay? It rescues from consequences, from the abuse of that sin, of that world, okay? It's a, it's a preparation baptism. Now, now read with me, and I'm going to show you, even right here in this passage, you're going to see more clearly what I'm saying and why the Lord's having me say this this morning. In verse 5, it says, then all, the, uh, yep, then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Okay, here they are confessing sins in the being taken out, in the rescue. Okay, now verse 6. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locust and wild honey. And he preached, saying, There comes one after me who is. Um, why did I lose my place? There comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you. With the Holy Spirit. Now, listen. I'm going to show you this pattern. I'm going to give you this now, okay? That the pattern is there's a there's four steps in this pattern that you find continually in the Scripture, okay? There's a taking out, there's a rescuing, and that's that's the first half. Those two things, okay? Then there's a redeeming and a bringing you with. Do you know that being redeemed is not the same thing as being taken out of the world or out of your sin or rescued from it? Do you know that's not the same thing? What is redeeming? It's like we use um, the term, and this is so important. You gotta listen now. We use the term redeeming sometimes even in our culture where like um, how much does that cost or what do you have to redeem for it, right? In other words, there's a value that's purchased. Now, I want you to think about what this means about God's love for you personally. Redeeming means that there is something. Now, he made it all. <laughs> he still gets all the glory, but there is something inherent, something unique, something valuable, at least according to God. Maybe not the people around you, but something incredibly valuable <laughs> about you that he wants to redeem you see, you can, you can save, <laughs> how do you say? You can save anything. You can take something out of anything. Redeeming is something very different. Redeeming is saying you have something that is supposed to be 
and, and I'm giving the price or I'm bringing the inherent value of that, I'm bringing it, I'm redeeming that. Is that, is that making sense? It's, I hope that that is flooding you with the love that God has for you because he, he doesn't just want to take you out. He doesn't just want to go, well, well, man, you've got such a terrible sin problem and I'm the Savior that can solve it and so I'm going to save you from your sins and that's it. He actually, that, that's a lot of love, let me tell you. <laughs> but I want to tell you that that only scratches the surface and we're going to see it in this pattern throughout the Word of God. He also wants to redeem and that's another step. He wants to say, I am crazy about you and, there's, and you are so incredible and beautiful to me and you have a value that I need to redeem. Does that make sense? Okay, and then there's a fourth part of this pattern that I'm going to show you that he also wants to bring you with. Okay, you understand you'd have to have a healing, a release, a freedom of who you are, all of that value that he redeems before you could take it with him <laughs> where he wants to bring you. Does that make sense? And so there's, those, there's these four steps and I'm, I'm going to keep moving here and I'm going to show you this pattern. I'm going to show you that it's in the Lord's table, that it's in baptism. And we've already said it. It's in the way he identifies himself. Did you see it? He says, I'm the way. The way is taking you out of something and bringing you into something. The truth that heals, breaks bonds, sets, it's the truth that sets you free. And then, and then he's all about the redeeming and going with him. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Abundant life is only in going with him. <laughs> it's only in the bringing. There's other stuff that's fun, but I mean, there is only the abundant life that God talks about in going with him where he wants to bring you. Okay. Okay. Um, this is one point where we're going to skip some, but you can stay there in Mark 1. Go to Acts 19. Starting right in verse 1. This is the goofy part where um, churches and denominations love to argue and everything i'm gonna be all risky and read it this morning <laughs> we're not gonna argue i'm not even going there but i'm going to show you some things okay and um it starts and says and it happened while apollos was at corinth that paul having passed through the upper regions came to ephesus and finding some disciples he said to them did you receive the holy spirit when you believed so they said to him we have not so much as heard whether there is a holy spirit and he said to them, in what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. Now remember, that's a preparation baptism, right? It's like, it's like the starting block for the being redeemed, the going with. Okay? Remember, we're not talking salvation. Salvation happens even before you get dunked, right? Okay. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance. What's Repentance. Turning, right? Turning away from one thing and turning toward another. Does that sound like um, being taken out? Okay. Repentance. Saying to the people that they should believe on him, speaking of Jesus, who would come after him. That is on Christ Jesus. 
When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. Now I'm just going to stop there. Now listen, why did Paul take this next step? It's, I'm going to tell you the answer. <laughs> Thank goodness, right? <laughs> you already know. It's because God loves so much more than just what they had. He has plans for redeeming and bringing with. And that's a spirit thing. Do you follow? You know, the water is a preparation thing. It's a cleansing thing. Real things, real spiritual things happen in the heart. Don't get me wrong, but it's a preparation thing. It's a making a straight path for him part. Being redeemed, having your full value come back to life, being your full, your full identity being set free from everything the world and the enemy and everything has done to it to shut it down. Being redeemed is a spirit thing. That's why he comes to baptize with the Spirit. Do you know everything that they tried to do was fulfill the law, do the right things, in the will of God, but pretty much what the entire story tells us is that they fail. <laughs> Everybody who tries fails. Redemption and being able to go with him where he's going is a Spirit thing. It was the giving of the Holy Spirit that makes any of it possible. Amen? Amen? <laughs> okay, I'm having fun. Are you guys having fun? <laughs> the only shirt I had was a white shirt I had was a long sleeve one, and I knew that it would be hot, but I'm like, I'm doing it anyway. Yeah, I gotta wear white on baptism day. <laughs> Starting to think it might have been a bad choice. But. <laughs> the water's cold. Yeah, I'm just prepping for the water. I'll be wet before I get there. <laughs> okay, go back to Mark chapter 1. We're at verse 9. And I might be skipping a little through chapter 1. <laughs> okay. It says, It came to pass. So here's what we're doing. Um, we're about to see Jesus' baptism, and I just want you to know, because this is important, I put this out there now. We're going to walk with him. Like when, he, when Jesus is baptized, there's a string of things that immediately happens. You often see the word immediately. In other words, he's baptized, and so therefore, in the next parts, it's like this, 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 and this. And it's very intentional, especially, I mean, in all the Gospels, but especially in the Gospel of Mark, because it's like the cliff note revelation of his nature and who he is, Okay? So it says, it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Okay, I have a trick question. Are we baptized so that we can begin to do the right things so that he's pleased with us? No, right? <laughs> That's terrible. That's terrible. That would be horrible theology. Give me a nod if you agree. Okay, why are we baptized? We're baptized because he's already pleased with us. <laughs> Say that with me. We're baptized because he's already pleased with us. 
you see, you realize Jesus, he was baptized and he comes out, up, out of the water and God says, you're my son and I'm incredibly pleased with you. In other words, are you catching he hasn't done anything yet? He's pleased. Why is he pleased? Because that's what a father does with a son. Who's, who's a son of his? Ladies, you can raise your hands, your sons. <laughs> your sons too, in the sense of the word. Your sons, he's delighted in you. He's just pleased. Why is he pleased with you? Just because he is, and that's what a good father does. They're pleased. Okay? That's important to know on a baptism day because too often in life we see that like people think that, that, well, I'm going to be baptized so that I can become someone that he's pleased with. Ouch. Okay? Okay, go to verse 12. It says, um... And we're actually going to leave this alone, but I'll just keep reading this part. It says, Immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness, and he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. We probably should teach on that, but we wouldn't get to the river. Um, so I'm, I'm going to keep going to 14, and it says, Now after John was put in prison... Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now stay right there if you're looking at it in your Bibles. Um, in other words, this is really like the first thing that like he's baptized in what? What does Mark record next? Immediate result is he begins to speak a certain message. Okay, now I want to pick this apart a little bit. What, what is his message? He's preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Do you know that that was different? Now listen to me. Do you know that in their culture, in their time, um, what they preached or what they taught in the synagogue is that the kingdom is coming. <laughs> Everything that they did... Um, the way the, the worship that they did at the temple, the way that they lived their lives, the laws that they followed was because the kingdom was coming. Are you following me? Now listen to these words. Now what, now what is he doing? He's preaching the gospel. What's that? He's telling good news now. I mean, it's always been okay news. It's okay if something I need is coming. That, that's okay, right? This is good news. <laughs> He's saying the good news of the kingdom of God. And then, and then just next it clarifies. These are the words. This is red letter stuff. Is it red up there? Nope, just white. It's red. And it says the time is fulfilled. What's fulfilled? I mean, listen to me. I still look around and I say, what's fulfilled? There's so much, there's so much pain. There's so much wrong. There's so much I still need to heal from because I'm so messy and and you go, what's fulfilled? But Jesus said, it's fulfilled. What's fulfilled? It says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. What's he saying? He's saying, turn from that old doctrine and believe the good news. What's the good news? The kingdom is at hand. You see, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, this will become more clear, but... Um, See, let me put this out there. You know their, their doctrine. Actually, let's don't do that yet. Go on with me to verse 21. Verse 21. You notice Jesus never begins with, 
He never says perform good enough. You never hear him say that. You never hear him say do good enough. But what is he caught saying all the time? Follow me. I like that because that's, that's not what I was going to say, but it's the same thing. He's caught all the time saying, have faith that the kingdom is here. Have faith that it's been fulfilled. Live in a way where you're acting as if the kingdom's been fulfilled. Why as if? Because it has been. <laughs> he said the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is upon you. That's a, that's a shift. <laughs> okay, go to verse uh, 21 with me. I think I skipped some. Then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. What does that mean? What's he doing different than the scribes? The scribes taught the kingdom is coming. And that was all it was. <laughs> it was mere teaching that the kingdom was coming. So what is it to teach as one with authority? It's one to teach that is, it's to be one who is teaching that is filled with that kingdom, making it happen now. It's one in a faith that something's changed. You see, Jesus walking on this earth and the call that he puts on your life, but him walking on this earth was the restoration of the spirit of God being in a man with his feet on, on the earth ball. <laughs> That's the kingdom here. Now go with me. If you're, if you're kind of struggling with, it's going to get really clear just next. If you're, if you're kind of like smoking as you walk along. Um, <laughs> smoke is holy. Go ahead and smoke. Verse 23. Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out saying, uh, Let us alone. What do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. I should keep going. But Jesus rebuked, I'm all excited. I got to like. <laughs> but Jesus rebuked him saying, be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. Then they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves. What do you think their question would be? They questioned among themselves saying, what is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority, he, even, um, he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. Do you notice they say, what new doctrine is this? Isn't that odd? I mean, it took, me, it took me a while to get a handle on this. What new doctrine? He's not doing a doctrine. He's doing real things. He's, he's casting, he's breaking bondages and casting spirits away from people who've been tormented by them. Right? So um, why do they call it a doctrine? I want to tell you because it is a doctrine. <laughs> a doctrine is a belief. He just changed the doctrine. They recognize that this is unique. What is this? This is not the doctrine we teach. The doctrine we teach is that the kingdom is coming. And what Jesus is doing is he's, he's illustrating a doctrine shift. <laughs> the kingdom is so here that I am defeating the kingdom of darkness on behalf of the people 
in the room. It's life. And that's your calling. I'm not even going to go there because, but, but just for a second, that's your calling. You understand? Jesus ministered in the Spirit. You minister in the Spirit. That's the new covenant. What is God making? What are new covenant people? New covenant people are people that believe the new doctrine that Jesus taught. All he ever goes around teaching is that the kingdom of God's upon you. Every place you read, what does it say that Jesus taught? He went around and told the good news of the kingdom. The kingdom's upon you. And he taught as one with authority. What is that? In other words, he taught as one that actually believes the new doctrine <laughs> that he came to bring. The new covenant that he accomplished with his own blood. <laughs> Who's having fun? <laughs> um, go to verse 29. Just continue. Um, just continue. Now, as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once. It seems kind of insignificant, maybe, at a glance. But why did they tell him about it at once? For healing? They recognized the new doctrine. They didn't tell anybody else about it. <laughs> right? They re in other words, what, what this little tidbit in the story is telling us is that is that people could see the evidence of this new thing, of the Spirit of God restored in man on the earth, of the kingdom of God being at hand. Go to verse 40. I think I'm too excited. I feel like I'm starting to lose my voice. <laughs> it says, Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, If you're willing, you can make me clean. Okay, is this someone who's caught on to the new way he should be thinking? Yes. And Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I'm willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And he, this is Jesus, strictly warned him and sent him away at once and said to him, now listen to the instructions. See that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now, would it have been enough if Jesus just healed? You understand leprosy is a, cl is a cleanness problem. It, it was also a physical disease, right? But it's very clear in the scriptures. In fact, it was one of the four miracles that they knew they needed to see in order to prove that, that this is the Messiah we've been waiting for. Leprosy was one of the four, okay? It's a cleanness thing. Would it have been enough just to take away the filth problem? to heal the sickness. I mean, would, that, would it have blessed the guy? 
Why did he not stop there? Yeah, it's this, it's this pattern that's in the Lord's Supper, that's in the nature of God, that's in his plans for you and everyone you pass by every day, that's at his table, that's in the river, in baptism. And I'm going to show you this. It's because, look, when, when he healed him, when he cleansed him, he took him out of something. Yes? He rescued him. Half of God's plan was done. But what does he do next? What's the second part of this? The second part is he wants to redeem. There's, there's a love that he has for this man, a value that he sees in this man that, that just, just healing you, just rescuing you from something is not enough. He's got a plan to redeem the value of and bring him with into the things of God. So what did he do? He, he instructed him to do the things that the law of Moses would say that he needs to do in order to be, to be redeemed in that culture and in order to walk into the plan, someone who would join into the worship of that community had to be cleared by the priest. That second step is his second step. He was also gonna redeem the value, redeem Everything God intended him to be, to redemption is lifting you up into who you're supposed to be and bring you with into the things of God. He never said perform well. <laughs> he said have faith that the kingdom of God is upon you and you're a part of it. That it's my plan to redeem all of all of who you are and set that free into abundant life. Okay. Now I'm going to show you that in the Lord's table quickly because I want to leave, I want to leave time. I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to do things during the meal today. But have you ever... This is coming to, have you ever found it peculiar that um, as you read, when Jesus begins to gather his 12 disciples, do you know that um, that was one of the immediate things, right? Um, baptism, spirit comes upon, and some of the immediate result of that is he begins to gather some guys. To what? To bring them with, Right? And have you ever seen, um, noticed the peculiarness of how immediate? Like, actually, actually, let's read one. I think there's, um, in Mark chapter 1, that immediate, right? In the same chapter, he's baptized, and he's already gathering, guys. I don't think we have this for the screen. Um, but Mark 1, 19. Oops, that's Matthew. That's not going to work. Close. Okay. 16? 16. Good job. Okay. Verse 16. And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Now listen to this. Then Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. This is really verse 18. They immediately left their nets and followed him. 
And actually stay right there. We're going to read 19 in just a second. Do you, I want to tell you something about their culture. Do you know that it was not abnormal to start following a rabbi? Permanently or for a season, they would, they would leave everything for a time. It's kind of like going to college in our culture, except maybe without the party. <laughs> but, and, and you know what we put into choosing the college we're going to go to. Okay, if, if you do that, it's, it's a big decision. Well, it's even a bigger decision to choose a rabbi. It was not uncommon to do it, but they would examine a rabbi for a long time and be very, like, really make sure because there was a real dedication. Um, unlike our colleges, th- there was really a submission. You had to completely submit yourself unto the discipleship or the teaching of that rabbi. So it was not a light decision. But over and over we read, what did we read? Verse 18, they immediately left their nets and followed him. Isn't that peculiar? In other words, they acted like a fool in their culture. God's making a people who are foolish to be immediate about moving into the redemption and going with part. The second part. In fact, look at um, 19. When he had gone a little further from there, he saw James... uh, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went with him. Did you get that? And and immediately he called them, and they left their father and the servants in the boat. Think about that. They're, They're fishing. They're out there. They're not choosing a rabbi today. Or this month, they're, they're fish, and they immediately leave the boat. He's looking for a whole bunch of fools that are just ready to go with. It's, see, it's a spirit thing. <laughs> this is a spirit thing. They weren't using the logic of their minds to choose a perfect rabbi. It was the movement of the spirit. They, they recognized the Messiah because the spirit allowed them to, and they just immediately went. Because what? The second half is he's redeeming. He's redeeming the unique value to be, to be a power carrier for the kingdom of God. That's Jesus' disciples. In other words, that's you. He's redeeming that. And he's saying, come on, he wants to bring you. I think there's another one. Actually, I wrote, scribbled one here, 2.13. I'm just going to do this one more as long as we're doing this. Chapter 2.13, it says, Then he went out again by the sea, and all the multitude came to him, and he taught them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. So he arose and followed him. This is so countercultural of the way it would be. For the longest time, I thought, how peculiar. You're like, what was it about Jesus That just made people, it was the spirit. It's a spirit thing. That's why John's baptism was a preparation baptism. It was a a baptism of taking you out of something and rescuing you from stuff. But there was one who was going to come after who was going to institute a new covenant that included redeeming and going with him in the same power he walked in. Okay, now we're going to talk about the Lord's table for just a minute. I hope you find this as cool as I do because when, when I saw this, I was just like, it's unbelievable how the nature of God, like he wanted us to know. <laughs> he wants you to know how valuable 
he thinks you are and how cool his plans for you are. And so did you, we, we've talked about this ages ago. Did you know that in the Passover meal there were four cups, not just one like we do? There were two before or kind of during the meal and then there were the cups, the two cups after the meal. Okay, can you guess what pattern those cups would lead them through in the Passover meal? The first two cups, the first one, they understood it to be a taking you out of something, literally taking them out of Egypt, which represents everything that we need to be taken out of. The second cup was a rescue, a rescue from the consequences, the unhealth, and the bondage of being in that slavery of Egypt. The two cups after the meal, the third cup um, is redemption, is identity redemption, is the third cup. And the fourth cup deals with inheritance. It's, it, it literally, um, the word they use is, is to bring you with or to bring you along. It's an inheritance thing. So now that you've been redeemed, all of your identity, everything the voice of God calls out from your life is redeemed, has been paid for so it can be valid again. Then he says, the fourth cup is, come on, start enjoying the inheritance. Let's do some stuff together because the kingdom of God is upon you. That's the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. That's why they had to go back and do something. That's why they ran into the, to a bunch of guys who had John's baptism and they were like, oh, that's not good enough. Because <laughs> they're like, well, you need the spirit thing. <laughs> you need the redemption and the going with. So when I learned of the four cups, First, I, um, I started to begin to have a problem with it where I was like, well, if they did four cups, then we should be doing four cups. <laughs> we don't do this right. <laughs> but you also read all those other places with one cup we bless. In other words, you know what Jesus did? He took all the four cups, of, he took all of their tradition, all of the nature of God, and in one blood pouring, he put it all in one cup. <laughs> so that you could partake in all of the inheritance of God, the being taken out, the being rescued, being redeemed, your identity being redeemed so that you can be the value that God made you to be. And then his voice that cries out, come on, come with me. Let's start enjoying the inheritance and bringing the kingdom upon some people because it's completely available. That was the newness of his doctrine. My kingdom is near to you. The word means upon you or, or all of it is available in me. Come on, all in one cup. And so that's what we're going to celebrate here. I hope you see it. It's in baptism. It's in baptism. We're going to have to take you out. <laughs> Right? You're taken out of something. You die to an old world and then you're rescued from it. You're brought back out of the water. And then one of the things I've asked all of those that I, that I know, at least, you're welcome to join in. If the Spirit moves you, just come and jump in the river. It's fine. But um, I've already made sure that folks were good. When they come out of the water, we're instantly, we're right there. We're going to pray for a filling of the Spirit. 
<laughs> it was, hey, if it was good enough for Jesus, I want to do it that way. Okay? Because that's, it's, in the, it's a spirit thing. <laughs> it's a spirit thing to start joining into the, to the inheritance, the goodness, the redemption of yourself that he wants you to walk in. That freedom, joy, and power. You know, the Word of God says, be filled and be filled again and be continuously filled and then go join back again as believers and pray that y'all will be filled together and then be filled. The tenses of the words mean never stop being filled. Okay, I'm going to read one last thing because I can't help myself. Um, go to Luke 22. Luke 22, and we'll be in verse, let's start just like I've got it, 24. Now I really will close with this. It says, now there was also, so this is at the Passover meal. Okay, this is, they, they're still reclining at the table, I'm pretty sure. And it says, now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. But not so among you. On the contrary, who is he who is greatest among you? Let him be as the younger and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as one who serves. So you understand, just, let's just get this straight. They're having a flesh argument, right? The spirit had not been given yet. Not that we can't have flesh arguments after the spirit's been given. <laughs> but here, the spirit had not been given yet. This is a very flesh argument. This is something they need to be taken out of, Right? <laughs> they really need some help here. Um, and how does Jesus respond to it? We see that just next, verse 28. He says, You are those who have continued with me in my trials, and I bestow upon you a kingdom. Just as my Father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes, tribes of Israel. Why did he say, okay, so what's his response to this fleshly argument? I bestow on you a kingdom. I put a kingdom upon you. Sound familiar? Okay. And why does he say judging the 12 tribes of Israel? Is it his idea that like um, people who, is it his idea that someone's going to rule over his chosen people, Israel? And that's what he wants? <laughs> Absolutely not. What's the judgment? The judgment the judgment is, is a judgment on not, not um, believing this new thing. Where they say, what is this new thing? This new thing is what he's talking about here. The new thing is that he bestows a kingdom. The dominion of the Spirit of God has been restored in man, which means the kingdom of God is upon you for any spirit-filled person. And wherever you walk, whatever room you walk into, you bring the Spirit of God upon that place. That's the new, what is this new thing? It's that new doctrine. And it's that that he speaks of. It's evident in the text. 
once you, once you look at it the way I'm explaining it now, it's evident in the text that he's saying, he said the judgment over the 12 tribes of Israel as he's speaking at this moment is that, there is, that you're going to have this that is, they don't have this new thing. The new covenant of my blood, which gives you the spirit to take the kingdom with you in any room that, or whatever river you walk into. Amen? Anybody thankful? So, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. It was very important to him that it would be tangible, visible, that there would be aspects of our relationship with him that, are, that you can taste and see Feel the water on your body and let the Holy Spirit use these physical things to make change deep in the heart. Brian, would you help me get this? So I'm just going to, as we've been doing, um, I'm, we're going to bring the table to the middle. I'm just going to pray over the meal. But as you come, I, I encourage you to think of the four cups that Jesus, in, in the spilling of one blood, his, in the giving of his blood and his broken body, he, he put it all into one cup of his blood. The need to be taken out of something, the rescue, but even greater than that, the redemption of you, the truest, deepest you, he, he bought, he paid for, he redeemed it. And he wants to redeem it actually as you walk with him. And the fourth cup, all in the one cup, he want, he's, his voice cries to you because he's crazy about you. And he's saying, come on. Literally, it translates uh, uh, to bring you along. So whenever you're ready, come on up to the table. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And this is my blood of the new covenant, the new covenant that the kingdom is upon you. Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> Do you know in order to redeem something, um, it means there's something to be redeemed. It's like if somebody, if somebody had a bunch of garbage and said, how much you give me for it? <laughs> what would you say? Nothing, right? The, Lord, the Lord's delight in you, the fact that he wants to redeem, that he paid everything to redeem means there was something to redeem. That's the value that he puts on you. Amen? Amen? Let's give, can we give Jesus an applause? Thank you, Jesus.